0: To our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. How many are you excited for the second part of Into the Future? Excited to be here, yeah? So glad that you are here. Uh, I was enamored with Back to the Future when I was a kid. I grew up in the 80s and late, uh, early and late 90s. And by the way, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, I'm so sorry about your childhood. But um, I loved those movies. They were on repeat in our VHS. And it was one of the first times that I actually understood as a young kid the idea of cause and effect, the idea of consequence In this world. And and I haven't come here today to preach back to the future to you. Like, there are churches that do that at the movie thing. Like, I'm not here to try to make Marty McFly into like the gospel according to Marty. Like, I'm not. But some of those themes, as we were dreaming about what we were gonna be preaching this fall and August, of course, were what God has for us in the future as a church and personally what God was trying to work out in our hearts as people to grow deeper in our relationship with him. And uh, and so this creative bend of Back to the Future, it fits so perfectly in the series Into the Future, is something that if you were here last week, you understand we didn't go light surface level with it. We went deep and dealt with stuff. If you missed that, By the way, go to newchapel.com slash watch. You can see all of our past sermons, and also we do have a podcast. You can subscribe to any part of that. But uh, the idea with this is that these biblical themes of what God has in the future, how we're supposed to live in the present and and dealing with our past, are massive. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. I want to read for you a passage that when I read this passage it clarified so much about how I'm supposed to live. I was told when I was younger, you know, don't have urgency, don't, don't, don't try to push for anything. When I read this, I saw what God was trying to convey, and I think it's really for every Christian. This is what the scripture says in Ephesians 5. I'm going to start in verse 14. Awake you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15 says this. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now, I put it in a parentheses there. This is me. That word would come out to be like carefully, like diligently. You're mindful about your steps, right? See that you walk carefully, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Verse 17 says this. Therefore, do not be unwise. This is huge, Grand Rapids. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what God's will is for your life. And don't be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation. That that would be corruption or like a stupidity. But be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of Jesus. This passage is massive, it is certainly rich with truth, and it means many things. One translation at that beginning part would say this, Be very careful how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. God's word is is imploring us, is begging us to take inventory of our lives. To look at our lives soberly and say, hey, I only have so much time on this earth. What am I going to do with it? And God wants us to live in such a way where we don't miss it, everybody. That we don't go through the motions, live our life on autopilot and land at the end. And it's like we missed a greater purpose. God has more for us. Amen, somebody? But we do miss it. And I think it kind of tells you how in this passage. Write a couple thoughts down. First way that I think that we miss it is it's easy to be fooled, write it down, by the world system. Yeah. What does it say? Uh, I see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as the wise. Now, uh, I came from inner city Nuego, and so uh, we, we'd cash shade every once in a while. We'd trash talk. You know, it's a big city, everybody. And, uh, and, you know, the Bible's not trying to call you a fool here. It's not trying to, like, step on your toes or cast it's literally talking to Christians, and it's trying to say this, hey, Christian church, listen, even you can be fooled. It says, it says redeem the time, for the days are evil. Days are evil, what does that even mean? That sounds like Bible, talk. here's what it is. It's trying to say that days are deceitful. They go by, and it seems like they're long, but really they go by fairly quickly. Don't be fooled. And I would say don't be fooled by the world system. The world has a way of doing its own thing. And in case you haven't taken inventory of the world recently, it is not going terribly well without their trying to piece everything together. These people can't lead their way out of a wet paper bag. And and, and so even their solutions to problems are kind of scary. And and, and so the world system is, is so deceptive. And you know the worst deception self-deception. It's when you take heart and take trust and take, take any kind of stock in what the world's trying to feed you in all of this. And the rat race is not new. It's been around forever. It's easy to get caught up in the here and now. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about the here and now today, but I'm talking about getting caught up in it, thinking that what life is made of is pleasure and vacation and the stuff that, 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 that composes the great building blocks of life, and it doesn't. But it's easy to be fooled that it does. What happens to our soul when we fill up on the world system? It's unfulfilling, and so we're left empty, but we want more. It's like a drug. You get hooked on it, and and it's never enough, and you think that more is going to help you. When you're not focused on what God has for you eternally, I'm telling you, internally, it will leave you void You're fooled. And why is it so easy? Because the pleasures that this world will give you, they are intoxicating. Write this down. The affairs of daily life can be intoxicating. You know, you're a generation that, like, we've got our phone, we have your tablet, you have TV. If you have Apple TV, there's a billion apps on there. If you have cable, there's so many channels or dish, whatever it looks like you have so much just entertainment value that's just brought to you. And 100 years, 120 years ago, that was reserved for aristocrats and royalty. Most people had to like work all day and make their own fun. It's why a lot of parents would play the guitar or some other instrument or sing at night. That was entertainment. But we're in a generation that is so filled with all the pleasures of this world, it's intoxicating. What does it say? Do not be drunk. With wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's talking about two definite things, the Spirit, and it's talking about getting drunk with alcohol, but it's also giving you two things that, like, this isn't tangible, this is, and it's giving you the reverse. There's an intangible intoxication. What is that? All the stuff that you fill up on deceives you into thinking this is what life is. You get distracted, you're drunk, you've had too much, And ultimately, you'll get sick, and what's on the inside will come to the outside. What you're searching for, what your heart is searching for, you'll find yourself in a spot that you never anticipated. Why? Because you're drunk. You think that this is what it is, and you're scheming and striving and working to get ahead, to scheme to get a promotion, to scheme to impress the right people. You're drunk. You're focused on the wrong things. I told you we were going to be going deep in this message. You're tipsy. And you're deceived into thinking you're doing the right thing because the world in its schooling and its its way of its brand, I'll say, of education, is telling you, do all of these things and have this stuff. I remember I had a teacher in sixth grade and she had a big poster on her wall, and it was of this tropical environment, and it had all these palm trees and a big old mansion and a six-stall garage and a Lamborghini po- uh, pulled up to it, and it said education at the bottom of it. And I went up to her and I said, is that your house? Well, no, 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 I'm just saying if you get a good education, you know, you can earn a lot of money. I said, is that your house? No, you should take that down. Put your house up there. Like, like, we get deceived into thinking and they will even tell you it's all about getting the money and the success and the stuff. And they don't have a lot to show for it. And I'm not picking on just teachers. I'm saying the world system doesn't have a lot, but you'll get drunk with it. And when you're not filled on the inside, the deepest part of you with visceral needs that you have, Here's what'll happen. You'll seek indulgence from the outside. You'll give yourself permission. Well, I'm working so hard, so I deserve. Ooh, watch that one. Third thought about why we get fooled, why we get pulled into not redeeming the time. Scripture says, awake those of you that sleep and then redeem the time for the days are evil. Write it down. You can wake up and you can leverage the time that you have for God's best. God gives you a warning in this passage, but with God, it's always coupled with something life-giving, an opportunity. He's not gonna give you the negative unless you can do something about it, and you can. You can redeem the time. Redeem, what does it mean? In the original language, it would be like to uh, compensate for the fault or bad aspects of something. We need that. To gain or regain the possession of something, and that's a big one because you might not realize it. But your life's going by quickly. How many of y'all are just like, whoa, 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 it's mid-August? We only get three months of good weather. I gotta do something now. You're starting to like like regret any night that you went to bed early, you know, and didn't watch the sun go across the horizon because you don't see it for nine months, you know? Like, like your life's going by quick. Maybe you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and you're like, what the world? How does it happen that quickly. James in the New Testament, the Bible says that your life is like a vapor. It's here a minute and gone. It's when you're going to go out in September, and all of a sudden, it's a cool morning, and you're going to go, and you're going to see your breath for a second, and then it's gone. That is your life. Job put it this way. He said, my days go by faster than a runner. Job was in a bad spot. He said, they fly away without me seeing any joy. And friend, if you don't learn how to redeem the time, and I'm not just talking about maximizing the summer months. There's a lot of people that have a lot of fun but don't have a lot of fulfillment. I'm talking about both leveraging, yes, the weather, but also leveraging your life for something greater. And when you do that, that's where you will see that joy that Job didn't. Wow. Days are so long. I remember looking at that Now, I have the dream job. It's the best job on earth. But, like, I remember when I used to have to work for a living, and, uh, and I'd be like, when is 5 o'clock going to be here? You know, you're just agonizing over it, and everything's about what you're going to be doing after work. Like, I love my job so much right now. And if you, here's a great key to life. You want to know what a great key to life is? Do something you love, and you won't work a day in your life. But anyway, days can seem long, like, when is this going to happen? But years They fly by so quickly, they stack so quickly, and things get busy. I get it. I'm a dad of four. Kai and I are chasing kids right now. Kids are everywhere. We, we, we aren't even involved in a ton of extracurriculars, but we have commutes and schedules to work out, and it seems like school starts earlier and earlier, like it's almost at Independence Day weekend, back to school, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much happening that you can get deceived by the time, and for all of us, we need to redeem the time. Say amen, somebody. How do we do it, Pastor Joe? I'm glad you asked. Three thoughts about it today. Before I give you the first one, let me say this. Redeeming the time, when I think about this, it really starts relationally. Now, I could have been very strategic with this message and talked about future vision for church and for your life. Next week, I will. But I want to talk about your relationships and how when you redeem time in them, that's where you'll see success in your life. Amen, somebody? All right, number one, write this down. Part one, you need to make quality time to connect with your children. I think this is very apropos when we're talking about back-to-school prayer weekend. Our kids are going back into the world, back into school, and we need to be praying for them, yes, but we need to be spending time with our kids. You know, the way that kids spell love, you've heard it, T-I-M-E. They're looking for a time investment from you, and you don't have to be doing wild things. It doesn't have to be extreme adventures, literally taking time and listening to them and talking to them, answering their questions. That means the world. Now, you might be in here and you say, well, Pastor Joe, my kids are grown, or I was never fortunate enough to have kids, or I'm just an uncle, aunt, cousin, whatever. I don't have them in my life. This is so good for you to hear for this reason. Don't be surprised when you hear preachers say, we're losing the next generation. It's because so many families are just being separated by the idea that they have no influence in their, in their nephews' nieces' lives or their grandchildren's lives. You need to be involved in their life as well. Yes. Maybe you don't have kids. Get involved back in new kids. Get involved in your family's next generation and invest in them. Listen to them. Talk to them. You need this as well. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 6 and verse 3, what does the Bible say? You may live a long life and have a hundred children, God forbid, but, but, but if you don't enjoy them, you're better off dead. that burn anybody else besides just me? I think it did because of how quiet it is in this room. Let me move to something lighter. Israel in the Old Testament, they're looking for a new king. The king that they have is kind of a Loser, and God, they're pleading to God. God, we need a new king. God is answering their prayers, and at this time, what God would do is He would speak to a prophet, and this prophet would go and He would anoint or call or decree that this person, this one, is going to be the next king. And so God spoke to the prophet Samuel to go to a man's house. This man's name was Jesse, and he has a litter of boys, ton of boys. And he says, the next king is in Jesse's house. This is what it says in 1 Samuel 16. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. And then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? Well, there still is the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching sheep and the goats. This is what Samuel says in verse 11. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. It was dark and handsome, beautiful eyes, exactly like me, if you're trying to picture David. And the Lord said, and humble, and the Lord said, this is the one anoint." Him. So David walks in, and that's the one that gets anointed. A couple things I see. Number one, when church people don't know what to do, they eat, right? Like, that's how we celebrate. That's how we question things. It's how we mourn with people. But that's not my message. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesse had a king in his home, and he didn't even know it. Friend, write this down. Don't let someone else recognize the king that's living in your home before you do. Don't let somebody else acknowledge the king, the queen, that your kid has royalty in them, that they are uniquely gifted. Don't let somebody else be the one to say that. You be the one to say that over your young person. Say amen, somebody. It took another man. I don't like that stuff. Think think about it in our context. It would take a guy from another state. It would take a teacher. It would take a, a, a church, a school, an outsider to speak that in doesn't make any sense to me that you got the right stuff, kid. God has a plan for your life. He wants to take you places that you are royalty. God has a plan throughout all of this. And another man had to speak that over, and it wasn't Jesse himself. How dare you allow someone else to take that position in your child's life? That's you, sir. That's you, ma'am. That is who God has called you to be to your young person. Same as somebody. I think about how, you know, as a church, we're pro-life. I thank God for the wins that we've had with the movement for life in America. Hallelujah, right? But, but think about it for a second. We're all pro-life, but how many men abort the relationship that they have with their kids? They might split from their wife, and they say, Well, he's got a stepdad now, sir. That is not his father. He has one father. He needs you. Your voice matters in his life. Well, he moved out of state with his mom. Uh, I don't know, get a telegraph, send Morris code. How about a phone? Call the kid, invest in the kid, text. Or how about this? I would say this, move. Go get next to your kid, whatever it takes. Put your interests, your life on the back burner to invest in that kid because that kid, if you lose that, you lose everything. That is the investment that you have in your life. If I gain a big church, if I have notoriety, if I get to open up for some pretty cool guys, but at the same time I lose my wife or I lose my kids, friend, I've lost everything in this world. You have to make your family a priority. And so, what do we do? We go after the dream. Stop going after the dream, go after your family. Stop stop trying to scheme your way into promotion. Go after what God has put as priority in your life, and the promotion will follow you because it follows people like that. Does that make sense? Write it down. This is huge. You can have anything that you want in life, but you can't have everything that you want. What does that mean, Pastor Joe? The Bible says that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. does not say you can do everything. Mr. Businessman, you might have a lot of opportunity. There, there might be some meat on the bone, and every day you might be able to have one more phone call or one more meeting or, or try to put together one more deal and squeeze it into the year. Maybe you shouldn't return every call that comes into your office. Maybe sometimes you need to learn some discernment and say that might be good, but it's not God for me. I need to back off because I have other priorities. I don't have to make the discernment in between my professional success and the success of my family if I put it in order. Say amen, somebody. Huge deal. And so you have to choose. You can do anything, you can't do everything. You have to choose. And here's the reality: ready for this? You are choosing. It's happening right now. we got to move on. So part one, I think that if you're going to redeem the time in your life, you need to set priority with your kids. But then number two, part two, you need to make time to connect with your spouse. Write that down. Make time to connect with your spouse. Huge deal. Now, it is God first. We'll talk about that next point. But then your spouse. If it's not God first, it's not in order. If it's not then your spouse and then everything else, it's not in order. If you have your kids before your spouse, friend, you're living in sin. Told you we'd go deep with the end of the future series. If your kid is the focus of your life, I'm telling you, you don't have your life going as well as you might think. If you raise godly kids, those kids are going to leave you someday to the glory of God. <laughs> the Bible says that they need to leave and cleave, leave their father and mother and cleave to their spouse. And I don't even want to think about that for my kids. It sounds evil, but like it's 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 gospel. They got to go they, you got to go do you, I got to do me, and mom and I have a life after you. But I see a lot of families that put their kids on a pedestal, and some of you might have the order all wrong. And your kids are not even just before your spouse. Your kids are before your God. If your kids are your identity, your source, your whole purpose in this world, friend, if you don't have God set us first and your spouse a second, and they are all those things for you, you are not only going to ruin them, and you will, you will likely ruin your marriage. You'll end up having a roommate someday. You can't worship your kids. They make great kids. They make bad gods. But for some in American culture, it is, it is even commendable to put your kids before anything else that happens. Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. Gentlemen, listen to this. Enjoy life with the women, woman, not women. <laughs> Different church. <laughs> Almost feel like praying after that one. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy. <laughs> enjoy, don't tweet that. Enjoy life with the woman that you love all the days of your life. And then it puts in a little warning there. That will soon be over. Hey, by the way, you're gonna die. <laughs> like, how do you like the Bible? Just take a swipe at you right with it. Like, hey, enjoy enjoy your spouse. You're gonna die. You know, like, uh, you know, just. But what is it doing? It's trying to say this is the life you have. What's important? She's important. He's important. And every day is a gift. Your clients, your friends, your boss, the lawn, the stuff. These are not the things that life is composed of. And there has to be order. You might have a great house, but you'll lose your home if you don't have this order. You'll sleep in the same bed. And You won't have intimacy. You'll be roommates living with one another. Guys, if you're lucky, I've seen so many marriages end, and they thought they were very commendable people because they stayed together for the kids' sake. That isn't commendable. That's an admission of guilt. I'm not trying to harp on anybody. Listen to me. This is important, though. You know if you've gone through anything like this. It's massive. Every day is a gift. And when you're disconnected from what truly matters, you will connect yourself to things that don't matter at all. And like we said, it's intoxicating. If you have a friend, or if you have a friend circle, or or, or some sort of hobby that pulls you away from your spouse, or pulls you away from home for an inordinate amount of time, get new friends, get a new hobby. If you're doing some hobby and you're biking all day long, you're passing ships in the night with your spouse, stop doing that. Get a different hobby. Get a different interest. You want to go out with night with the girls, and you go get fixed up for them. You get fixed up for work. You get fixed up for church, bike riding with friends, all that. You get fixed up for that. But then when you come home, you wonder why your husband's sitting in front of the TV Looking crazy, it's because you look like the walking dead. Put the same energy that you put into getting fixed up for a night out with the girls that you would put into your husband. Put that same effort in. Invest in him. Wow. That's good preaching, even though it's pretty quiet in the church house. Well, I can't get my husband to come to church. Listen to me. A lot of people have faced that. I'm going to say something pretty harsh, and I'm going to tell you what I mean. You can't be lazy about this. Don't be stupid about it. you got to be smart about it. Here's what I mean with it. If you have energy for everyone else and not for him, it's not a mystery. Redirect that energy. I've heard of people that have separate bank accounts, and they're married. I've heard of people that they do their own laundry. The husband does his laundry, and the wife does her laundry. Listen to me. Let me be very practical. That is not of God. You serve one another. That's what you do, and that doesn't mean that it's the woman's role to do all the laundry. That is our flow in our house, but it's because Kaya stays home with the kids. It makes a ton of sense, but the guy could do all the laundry, but you serve one another. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't divide everything up. Well, this is yours, and this is You have a separate bank account. Repent today. Amen. Here's what that is. That's your safety account in case it doesn't work out. Oh, no, Pastor Joe, it's different. It's because, you know, he just spends, and I'm trying to keep... No, listen to me. It's your safety account so that if things don't work right, you have recourse. Branded a different way, I dare you. That's exactly what it is. Shame the devil and tell the truth. It's not of God. How do you win your husband or wife over? How do you get them to do whatever you want? Well, Well, ladies, if you're trying to win over your husband, you treat him like a king. You serve him, make up his, his favorite meal. You love on him. You, you speak life over him. He might be a dud. He might look like the walking dead himself, sitting in front, of making wind every time he thinks you're out of the room. You know, like just, you treat him like a king. Well, he still won't come to church. Okay, here's, here's the advice. And fair warning this is why we do new kids, so earmuffs for any parents that are fairly protective. Listen to me. When you come home from church, don't look at him like, huh. Message was for you today, you know, like like just put guilt trip on them. Huh? What were you doing? I was growing in the Lord. What were you doing? Right where I left you. You know, I mean, don't do that. Here's what you do: you come home, you just look at them sexy. Just look at them. Like you want to do something about it. Let me be even more frank. Women, you need to have passionate, fun sex. When you come home from church on Sunday afternoon, I'm talking about get rid of that nasty flannel robe you've been sporting around the house looking all gross. Wear something cute to church and don't change when you get home. Do something about what you got on. And I'm telling you, if you stop making church and God the heavy guilt trip of his life, and every Sunday it's like, man, she is ramped up when she comes home from that church. I have got to go here with that guy's preaching. I'm trying to help you, bro. When you're watching this on the podcast three years from now and you're like, why am I attending here? This is how you came. Welcome home. I'm trying to save your marriage, keep some of you young. <laughs> Stop making church the heavy. Have fun with your husband. Enjoy it. Come back with a great attitude. Show them you know God by your great attitude, and you'll win them over. Here's what I'm trying to say. You need to have a real connection with your spouse. And I'm not tra- trying to say that, you know, you getting gussied up. It's not about how you look. It's about what you did for them. You know, some of us, we got to work with what we got you know but it's about you doing the best you can for them to love on them say amen. amen people have asked us before you know pastor joe kai do you guys fight and we're just like you we fight you know i mean, we're, we're Christians so we don't fight we have disagreements we, we have intense fellowship in a lot of ways but what happens we work it out because we are connected in this life Look, we have a date night. Every single week we have a date night. It's never convenient. I mean, it's so hard to find childcare. So hard to find willing people to watch four kids at once and our crazy dog. And like, But we make a point. We're going out. And and sometimes, like, let me just tell you, the last couple of date nights, we went to Marshall's and bought out the place, right? We went to the Goodwill one night. We went uh, uh, to Birch Run and went to those outlet malls. Like, we'll do something, but we're going to do it together, and I date that woman. Because when we got married, I didn't stop pursuing her. And we connect. The mornings, I spend time in the morning talking to her about what's going on in her life. She talks about what's going on in my world. We go back and forth. We take vacation time together together away from kids. So again, mom and dad, if you have the great Disney vacation, awesome. Please do. But you better have a week cut out where you can just spend time with that woman because if you do this right, they will leave you. Let me say that again because we live in America. If you do this right, they're going to move out your house. So 18, 19, 20, maybe they're in college and you work out an agreement with them where they can stay. Like They don't need to be living with you for the rest of their life. You give them that left foot of fellowship and tell them when the Thanksgiving party is, be gone with your bad self. You know what I'm saying, everybody? And so here's what I mean. There have been times where things have gone great and times where we've gone through hardship, where Kai and I have looked at each other and said, hey, it's you, me, and Jesus, and that's enough. Write it down. Pursue your spouse like you're dating. It's not so different. Men, you used to dress up, wear some cologne in your stinky body. Like, you used to get some flowers. You know, they grow, too. You don't have to buy them. They grow. Like, pursue your spouse. I got to move on. Part three, we want to redeem the time in our life. It, it starts relationally. Number three, make time to connect with God every single day. Every day. Every day we're going to connect with God. God's going to be First. So I even start God first, the first part of my day. Uh, I, I pray to him first, and then I kind of get my coffee and, and spend time with Kai. And then I have like an extended grooming ritual in the morning. And so I take forever to take a shower and get my clothes out. And I'm kind of meandering because I listen to Audible. I, I, I listen to so many books on Audible. I listen to podcasts. I, I get my Bible time in, prayer time, worship time with God. I spend 30 to 50 minutes. Minutes with God every day, every single day. And I'm gonna tell you, when I don't, I am a jerk. <laughs> I, am, I am not my best. I'm short sighted about things. I need that time to get my head on straight. So I spend time with God. I think of it as something like a pressure cooker uh, where you, know, you set your little timer on it, and, and when the, that little timer goes, it's done. That's what the morning is for me. I've gotta have that time. And when I come out of that God first time, it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, Psalm 46, the Bible says this, be still and know that I am God. It took me forever to be still. I am such a diligent person, a type A personality. Let's get stuff done. And and it was an exercise and restraint for me to just shut up, control head, you know, just listen to God. Like, God, I'm here with you. I've got some things I want to pray about, but I have no agenda. You, You say what you want. And that stillness, that moment, I'm telling you guys, it made all the difference. There's a story in the book of Exodus, and Moses, uh, he's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He is taking them to the promised land, ultimately, uh, but they are in a desert, and God is providing for them. God wants to provide food and, and, and shelter from the, from the heat, water, all of it, and so he is bringing this this substance called manna. We'll read about it in a second. How many of y'all noticed just in the last week, dew has started to form on the ground, like the weather's beginning to change? That's how this manna would show up. It's just like in the morning, just how dew shows up, except it would be like a big old loaf of bread or something like that. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but this is what scripture says in Exodus 16. The Lord said to Moses, look, I am going to rain down manna from heaven for you each day, Each day, each day. Everybody say that, one, two, three. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. But I'm going to test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. By the way about God, God will never tempt you, but God will test you. And it's not so that he can know what you're made of. God knows what you're made of. He wants to show you what's going on. And so he puts this test in. Now, God didn't say, I'm going to provide... You know, food for the week. And we like that. Like I have a pantry at home and kind of stocks it all up. I got a little cellar down in the basement. and We have food down there. We have reserves. God isn't saying, hey, I'm going to give you all these reserves. I'm going to give you food on a daily basis. Every day I'm going to provide. It's a daily relationship is what he's trying to say. Now, here's what manna means. I want you to write this down because we'll, we'll kind of play with this uh, in a second. Manna literally means, what is it? And I, I don't know about you, when I read the Bible, that's hilarious to me. What is this stuff? I have no idea. You know, there it is. Let's eat it, right? Like we're in the middle of the desert. Like, what is it? But here's what happened in this narrative is that some people trusted more in the bread, more in the manna than they did in the source of the bread. So... They worried so much about tomorrow, so much about having reserves. They were uh, kind of like beaten animals after getting out of slavery in Egypt that they wanted to have some, some backing for confidence, for security. There's nothing wrong with that, but God's trying to teach them in this moment, I'm your security, and I'm your backing. I've got your back. But, but they stored it up. Here's what happened in Exodus 16, now verse 19. Do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen. And kept some of it until morning, but by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. What happened? It started to rot. When we try to provide for ourselves and our own strength, especially because you're a Christian now and you know what you know, it'll rot. Now, I'm not saying that you won't be working things out. I'm not saying that there won't be effort on your part. There will be, but it has to be in God's grace. It has to be the way he's called you to do it. But when you scheme and strive, even if you see people be successful in the world, when their life ends, they can't take it to heaven. And ultimately, everything about wealth on this world will burn. And so it rots in our own power. Some people say, well, Pastor, I had a rotten day this week. It's because we're trying to do it in our own strength in our own power, in our own acclaim, and you're relying on yourself. I've talked to men that had adult children, and they told me, Pastor Joe, I used to say to myself, one day I'm going to, one day I'll, and they, they essentially said this, I was living on an island, one day I'll. I'll spend time with my kids. I'll spend time with my spouse. We'll make up the time. I'll make this, and it became this, this distant promise for the future that never happened. And so, what happened? He climbed the corporate ladder. He got the acclaim. But so much of what he was working for, and men, you understand this, you're working for your family. God gets that. But you don't have to make the discernment in between working for your family and being with your family and having a relationship. And so, in lieu of, of being present, spending time with his wife and his kids, he didn't. And what happened? The relationships rotted. We have to do something different. We have to redeem it. Our source is not in our job, in our 401K, in our, in, our, in our bread, in our boss, whatever it is. That is not your source. When you try to make government your source, your paycheck, the stock market, anything else but God your source, you go after those things instead of God, it rots in your hands. It won't fulfill you. So, so you remember the word man. It means what is it? God is, is in essence trying to put something in their lap where they have to ask a question to him. What is it? Like before they engage in the day, in the morning, they pray that. It's a manna prayer. I have started my day with it for years, and here's what it is. God, what do you want me to do today? What is it? What do you have for me? What's next steps here? What what are you speaking for this relationship? What is it, God? And I pray that on the front end every single day. Sometimes I get profound wisdom right away. Sometimes it kind of reveals itself as the day goes on. And other times I hear nothing profound, but at least I acknowledge my God first. What is it, God, that you want me to do in this meeting? What is it that you want me to do with this client, with this problem? God, what, what do you have for me? So you can't take every opportunity that knocks at your door. God, what do you have for me? There have been some things, and if you've lived long enough, you know what I mean. It looked good. It looked promising. It even lined up with a lot of godly goals that you had. But it was not God. It was good, but not God. And it eroded away some of the ground that you had. Too often, godly people, good people, listen to me, they go after bread and not after the source And then after the fact, when things are rotting or falling apart or we're upset about something, we go, God, what is it? Ah, do you see it? You will ask the question. You can do it on the back end when you've done it in your own strength and be like, God, where are you? What is it? Or on the front end, you can acknowledge him in all of your ways and let him direct your paths. And you can say, God, what is it? What do you have for me? What what is this that looks good? I don't know. You talk to me. What, What do you have for me, God? Because, write it down, we are on our own when we refuse to ask for God's help. Old 80s song, here we go again on our own. And I'm telling you, friend, it's not supposed to be that way. In the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 5, David has become the king. We just read about the David who was being anointed by Samuel to become king. Now he is. He's in a spot of authority. And the Philistines have taking a stand against him. They want to they come and attack the children of God. And you have to understand something about David. He was a warrior. He was a butt-kicking machine. He ate Philistines for breakfast and liked to do it. Surely he should attack, right? He beat uh, Goliath way back in that old Bible story, and, and they're coming at him again. Let's, let's kick their butts again. But David doesn't just knee-jerk reaction and go do what he thinks. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 5. David inquired of the Lord, shall I? Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered, hey, go, for I will. What does God say? This is my will. God God wants to make his will full disclosure to you. I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. David spent time with God. He's a man after God's own heart. And what is he asking? Shall I? Will you? And God answered it, and He'll be faithful to answer it on your part. Do you see that? Now this is a this is a massive uh, thought, but but God is not obligated to bring you victory in battles that He never called you to fight. God has battles for you. The battle belongs to the Lord, though everybody, and so when you start picking fights, with, and it might be a righteous fight, like we need to defeat the Philistines. But if it's not your battle, if it's not, if it's not his time, if it's not the way he asked you to do it, you exploit yourself to the attack of the enemy. Wow. He will bring you victory in the battle he has called for, but not every opposition you put yourself out for. Wow. I remember my dad, and uh, he had a saying, maybe you You had a family member, somebody wise, a mentor in your life say it. He'd say, son, don't die on that hill. And what he meant was this. You could go do it. You might even be right in doing it, but you're picking a fight there. And I've learned that with the wisdom of God, you have to have discernment there. And it's true for church. It's true for work. It's true for marriage and raising kids. It's true for finances. It's true for marriage it's true for friendships. It's true for marriage. Sometimes, should... guys, listen to me. Don't die on that hill. You got to have some wisdom. God, what what battles do I need to be picking here? When things go wrong, we say, God, what is it? And we should be praying on the front end, God, what is it? What is the battle plan that you have for me? I remember at one time we were facing uh, this Challenge, I'll just say, and and in a muted way without disclosing everything, I would have had the right to sue this person and I would have banked. All the evidence was there. This was a person who was a tenant and I could have easily sued. They didn't do what they said and I would have won. And I got to tell you, I had troubles with this person before as a tenant and it would have felt really good to win. To win this battle and go, see, take that. And I remember I was praying that manna prayer to God to be like, God, what is it? What do you have for me today? And God ministered this to my heart. You could pick that fight. And He says, Listen, you would win. It's in your favor. You have every right to do it. But I'm gonna ask you not to. Because it's gonna take your attention, it's gonna take your focus, it's gonna take your heart in places that you're not really anticipating. It would be a righteous win for you, but what it would do to your soul would not be beneficial. So choose your battles. And so we have to learn, God, I put you first in all things. Now, the story of David, it continues on. He is is, uh, attacked by these Philistines. He counterattacks, and he wins the battle. But one month later, the same nation knocks at his door and goes down to this valley, and they're getting ready to attack David and the children of Israel. Uh, what is David going to do? You'd think it'd be an automatic answer. He told me to go kick their butt. I'm going to go kick their butt if they come back again. Yet David didn't. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 5:22. Once more, once more, once more, the Philistines came up and spread out the valley. So David inquired of the Lord, and God answered Do not go straight up. Circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. You can read the rest. God explains you're going to hear the poplar trees rustle. When you're back there and you hear those trees rustle, that's your moment. You go out and attack them, and you'll win. What did David do? Exactly the strategy that God gave him. When the poplar trees rustled, David went up against those Philistines, him and the armies of Israel, and he won the battle again. But listen to me, David would have lost his life if he would have said, this is a righteous battle. God's already told us in the past to do it. I know. You don't know. God, is this my moment? Is this my time? Is, do I need to pick this battle? How do I need to do it? God wants to partner with you for your victory so you don't have to be the God of your own life so that he can partner with you and do things beyond what you can figure out in your head. Say amen, somebody. He sought God daily. What does this look like for the born-again Christian in the New Testament? I can't live on my relationship with God from yesterday alone. I need fresh manna, fresh bread, fresh relationship with God on a daily basis. God, what do you have for me today? What is it? And write this down. I'm not telling you to get hooked on a formula. God doesn't want you hooked on a formula. Here's what he wants. He wants you ultimately dependent on him. You can't assume because you attacked in the past. It's always attack. He wants you to be pliable, soft. Your heart is responsive to the Lord. Say amen, somebody. So there's priority, you see. We want to redeem the time, and it starts with a relationship with God first, a solid relationship with your spouse second, and then your family, your children third. And here's what I know. When godly alignment comes into your life with God first, it aligns the other issues of your life, and you'll see his blessing into the future. Amen, somebody. Give God praise. Hallelujah. <laughs> Heavenly Father. We thank you for meeting us in this place. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for wisdom that we can seek you, seek your presence first, and you can align the, 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 the rest of our life, the issues of our life. God, I pray for my church right now. If they heard this message, I pray nobody was condemned. But God, to those people that were convicted, that maybe they put kids first or that God is an afterthought. God, I pray for my church right now that they'd have a tender and responsive heart to the Lord, that they'd make the decision to have godly order. God, I thank you that you've never called us to make the discernment in between loving you and taking care of our family. But God, we can do it all when the order is set. God, I pray for people that have lost years, They've lost years of relationship with their kids, lost perhaps years of relationship with their spouse, maybe even broke a relationship, but there's no going back. God, I pray for restoration, a redeeming of the time in their life, that God today is the day of salvation, and they can make a decision to jump in both feet to your will today. They don't need to be fooled, but they can understand what the will of the Lord is is God, I pray that you reveal that in their heart. You speak to them, Lord. It's not so important that they hear Joe Bevilacqua. It's so important that they hear your spirit. And so God, I pray for clarity and direction as we go into the future. Father, as I preach a message about your love and your faithfulness and Godly order, I know that people that are far from God are drawn to your spirit. If there's anybody that doesn't know you in the sound of my voice, Help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another second. I just want to ask you, how you doing? How's your heart? Is your life right with God? Whatever that even means. I don't want you to leave this room hearing about a God of love and not having relationship with him. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's you saying, hey, God, you're God and I'm not. The Bible says that when you broker that relationship with him through Jesus, his only son, that that relationship is strong enough to carry you through, yes, into eternity, but that relationship gives you new life the moment you accept Christ. That some of the peace and joy that you're looking for, some of that is really by setting order in your life today, by making Jesus God's only son Lord. And church, we're going to pray. I want you to pray with those people that are praying this for the very first time and and pray this with those people who are maybe rededicating their life to Christ, setting godly order. Do it as a declaration of your faith and do it in support of them. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want everybody to pray this prayer out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead this I believe so with my heart and with these words I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord I surrender now Jesus I call on you come into my life forgive my sin put your spirit in me I receive all that you have for me thank you for saving me thank you for making all things new in Jesus name amen And amen. Give it up for those people that accepted Christ in this room. Proud of you. Listen, if you did accept Christ, the reason why we're cheering is because we're so proud of you. And we know the freedom that's on the other end of the prayer that you just prayed. I'm not going to call you to the front, but I do encourage you to do this. Fill out one of those connection cards like we are having our visitors do and check the box that says, I accepted Christ. I want to send you a note in the mail talking about next steps that God has for you. He has great things for you, and the least of which is to fill out that card. If you came with somebody and they accepted Christ, encourage them to fill that out. We believe that the best is yet to come. Amen, church. Can we give it up for them one more time? Awesome. Louder than that, these people went from dead to life, everybody. Stand up on your feet. I hope that you got something out of it. I hope that you're enjoying this series. A couple of quick announcements before we release you to the rest of your weekend. Uh, we are having a student and youth ministry interest meeting. Now, this is not for middle school and high schoolers. This is for those of you that are college age, the the, the parents of teenagers uh, and middle school age kids. We want you to come out and get involved in New Chapel student culture. We have a meeting August 16th. I believe it's this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. I'm going to be there leading this meeting. And the idea is we're going to be launching the student ministry the second Wednesday of September. And we're getting things together to make this happen. It's going to be kind of a beta test, the first service that we have, this evangelistic service. And then on the second week of October, we're going to be launching the student ministry with our doors wide open to the community. I need your input. And frankly, I need your help. This cannot be something that Pastor Joe and Pastor Brian put on by ourselves. If it's going to be that way, if there's not that temperature in the church, we can't do it. But here's what I know. People have been asking about student ministry for years, and you are ready. If this is you, make the time to come to this meeting. Be with me, and let's plan out what we can do for the next generation. Can I hear an amen, church? And then also, I want to let you know about that ladies' bunco night that is coming up on the 28th. We didn't have the sign-up ready for you. 27th, sorry. You can go to guest services, and that sign-up is there prepared for you this weekend. There's more things about the coming season I will reveal next week but I think sufficient for the day is the trouble they're in. Amen, somebody? Uh, I do hope that you enjoy this, but listen, invite somebody to church. Back-to-school season is a time where a lot of people are like, look, we got to get back into the swing of things. we got to find a life-giving church. Now's the time to be inviting them, sharing some of our stuff on social media. Let's see the house of God packed out this fall with people that are seeking God with all their heart. Can I hear an amen, church? Let me pray for you real quick before you go for the rest of your weekend. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great weekend, guys. Love you.